0: the name of Jesus, and we pray for every family represented here, we pray for every family that's connected to Seeds of Victory Ministries and Victory Harvest Church, and everything that has been spoken today and declared in this place, we release it into their lives and into their families' lives in the name of Jesus. And we just thank You for breakthrough, we thank You for multiplication, we thank You for harvest, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen you ready let's go to Romans chapter 1 and also to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and then we're going to go back to Romans 10 Romans chapter 1 Ephesians chapter 4 Romans chapter 10 the cowboys are long gone well, I can go as long as I need to. Houston won last night, so all is right with the world. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 16. We're talking about the righteousness of God. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation or unto deliverance. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God. And please take note that it is to everyone who believes. So faith is going to be demanded if we're going to tap into the power of God. And as I've shared with you before, that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. That word salvation is a word in the Greek that refers to complete, total deliverance. Now, why is the gospel the power of God? Verse 17, For therein, where? In the gospel, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just or the righteous shall live by faith. So here in these two verses, you have a direct connection between the power of God and righteousness. And I want to say to you that you will not walk in the power of God beyond your understanding of the righteousness of God. It's so important. And you'll never walk in the power of God beyond the effect of the righteousness of God on your life. So if we're going to walk in God's power, we must walk in righteousness. Now, I've shared with you some definitions of righteousness, so let me share them with you again. The classic definition of righteousness just very simply means to stand in the presence of a holy God without guilt, without fear, and without condemnation. The ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without guilt, without fear, and without condemnation. I don't think I've shared this here, but the Lord gave me another definition the other day. I hopefully, I can enlarge on it maybe later on. But another definition of righteousness that the Lord gave me is the fact that righteousness is the ability to please God. Righteousness is the ability to please God. And we want to please God. I've shared with you that the word righteousness itself, the old English word for righteousness, literally means to be in right standing with God. Or I like to say it this way, that when you begin to walk in the righteousness of God, you become rightly related to God, or you begin to come into divine order. You begin to come into alignment with God, by the righteousness of God. We've talked about the fact that righteousness belongs to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For He, God the Father, hath made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Righteousness has been made available because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank God, like God said earlier in that Word, it's not about our track record, it's about His sacrifice. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We've talked about the fact in Romans 5, 17, that righteousness is a gift. For if by one man's offense, talking about Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So righteousness is a free gift. Verse 17, we just read here, said, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So righteousness is not only a free gift, but righteousness is also a revelation. Righteousness is a revelation. And it's a revelation that's designed to affect the way we think, and it's designed to affect our attitude. So let's go to Ephesians 4. All of this is review... And I'm going over it rather quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. Let's read down into this. It says, If so be that you have heard Him, and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, or the old manner of life, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, your whole attitude, your whole thinking process needs to be changed. Verse 24, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So the righteousness of God is connected to being renewed in the spirit of our mind, having our thinking changed by the revelation of righteousness. Well, how are we to change? How do we affect the change? Where does it start? Where does it begin? Well, back over to Romans, please. Romans chapter 10. I told you all three of those, didn't I, at the start? Okay. Romans chapter 10. Let's begin reading with verse 6. It says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Righteousness will have an effect on your words. When righteousness, the revelation of righteousness, begins to work in your life, one of the first things that it will begin to do is cause you to understand that your words carry Authority. The righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not, well, this is what righteousness doesn't say. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. You'd be surprised how many people pray along those lines. Oh God, oh God, if you could just come down and help me. Oh God, oh God the Father. Oh, if you could come down, just send Jesus. He can't make it, send the Holy Ghost. Please, just send an angel. Somebody, please come help me. (laughs) Somebody do something. He said here, don't say that. Don't pray that kind of a prayer. We've been doing that 2,000 years. What kind of effect has it had? Not much. Well, if we're not to say that, what are we to say? But what saith it? What does righteousness say? The Word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith that we speak. Listen to the difference in attitude. I will speak what God says, my God will hear and my God will respond. That's righteousness. That's a righteousness consciousness. That is a righteousness attitude. I will speak what God says. God will hear and God will respond. And God will answer my prayer. Somebody said, that's just arrogance. No, it's not arrogance. It's authority and it's boldness. Righteousness will produce a boldness. A high, there it goes. Proverbs 28, 1. Listen to this scripture. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Guess which lion? The lion of the tribe of Judah. There is a boldness, there is a strength that comes from righteousness. I want to show this to you in principle. We're going to come back to Romans 10, so you might want to put a marker there and turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I was just looking at my watch. There's basically an old joke that says, do you know what it means when Kenneth looks at his watch when he's preaching? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Matthew chapter 8. Let's start with verse 5. says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. I want you to take note of the fact that this man was not Jewish. He was a Roman. And because he was not Jewish, in reality, he had absolutely had no right to receive from Jesus' ministry. When Jesus came to this earth, He came to minister to the Jewish people. He came to minister to the seed of Abraham because they were the ones that had the covenant with God. Now, there were certain Gentiles that God healed and got delivered in His earthly ministry, but they kind of were on the outside looking in. And the same thing was true here with this Roman. He was non-Jewish. He had no covenant with God. And he's a Roman centurion, which means that he is a military man. He is equivalent to what today in the army we would call a bird colonel. So this guy has authority. He's very military-minded In verse 5, he says, "...when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord..." Boy, now that took some nerve. Here is a Roman soldier calling a so-called Jewish prophet in his eyes... Uh, uh, just a carpenter from Nazareth, daring to call Him Curios, daring to call Him Lord. When Jesus was entered at Capernaum, there came unto Him a centurion beseeching Him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented verse 7 and Jesus saith unto him I will come and heal him I like that Jesus had no qualms about I'll come and heal him Here's a spiritual principle you need to be aware of What did that centurion do He came to he came to Jesus and he said Lord I need your help Jesus said I will come Lord, I will come. Lord, I will come. The declaration of His Lordship is what brings His presence. Lord, I will come. Master of the household, like Cindy was saying earlier. Jesus is Lord. The declaration of His Lordship brings His presence. I will come and heal Him. Verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Now, don't misunderstand what he's saying here. This is not some sort of uh, uh, false humility. Oh Jesus, I'm just too unworthy to receive. That's not what he's saying. First of all, this Roman centurion understood the prejudice of the Jewish people. For Jesus to go to the home of that centurion, to go to the home of that Gentile, that Roman soldier, for Him to go to His home would have been a mark of disgrace on His ministry. And this Roman centurion is saying, look, I don't want to do anything that's going to affect your ministry. I don't want to do anything that's going to affect your reputation with the Jewish people. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. And not only that, I'm also quite certain that this centurion, to whatever degree he understood spiritual things, apparently he understood a great deal. Apparently he also understood the fact that he was, as a Gentile on the outside, looking in where the covenant with God was concerned. I'm not worthy. I don't have a covenant. But now notice what he said, verse 8 once again. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But, speak the word only. Isn't that what righteousness says? Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Now verse 9 This Roman centurion tells Jesus where he's coming from, how he got this revelation. This is powerful. Verse 9, when I was reading this yesterday, the Lord referred this uh, to me as, and I've never heard this before. He said, this is the law of representation. This is the law of representation, verse 9 He said, For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goes. I say to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. Whatever I say is what gets done. Now, why was that the case? Well, what he was saying to Jesus was, I represent Caesar, and I carry the authority of Rome. And at that particular time, Caesar was Lord of the political realm. He was Lord of the military realm. He was Lord of nations. I represent Caesar. I carry the authority of Rome. Let me say it to you this way. I am the righteousness of Rome. I am the righteousness of Rome. I'm under the authority of Caesar... And I have people under my authority. And when I speak, they have to respond because I, have, I am the righteousness of Rome. And, I, and he said, basically what he was saying was, when I speak, I am exercising Caesar's lordship. When I speak, I'm exercising Caesar's lordship over my, over my situation. I'm not speaking in my own authority. I'm just a Roman soldier. But because I'm under the authority of Caesar, because I represent Caesar, I speak, I exercise His Lordship. He says here, speak the word only. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go. And he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this. And he does it. In other words, he was making a comparison between himself and Jesus. Apparently, this man spent some time observing Jesus in ministry. He observed how Jesus would minister to people. Be thou made whole. They were made whole. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. The spirit had to leave. When Jesus spoke, things happened. There was a response. There was a response in the spirit. There was a response in the natural. There was a response among people. And the centurion recognized that. And He said, in the same way that I speak with the righteousness of Rome and the Lordship of Rome, I understand that you speak with the righteousness of God. And when you speak, God responds. When you speak, heaven responds. When you speak, hell responds. Because you represent God in the earth. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 10, When Jesus heard it, He marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Jesus said this was the hallmark of great faith. The hallmark of great faith is like I said a while ago, I will speak, God will hear, God will respond. And He went on to say this. In fact, He begins to give a, actually a prophetic word here. Verse 11, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and from the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In reality, that's a prophetic word for the church. Because what Jesus was saying here, there are many Gentiles that will grasp this, this principle of righteousness, and many of them will come into the kingdom of God based on what, believing with the heart and saying with the mouth, they'll come into the kingdom of God. That was a prophetic word. that was a prophetic truth. And you know what? It's come to pass. How many people have been born again into the kingdom of God, believing with their heart and saying with their mouth, Jesus, You are Lord. Now, turn with me back to Romans, six, uh, Romans uh, uh, 10. Look at verse 6. Romans chapter 10. Jesus, uh, <laughs> Jesus, Cindy, same difference, Cindy... Cindy sung this song that song earlier, When I Speak Your Name, mountains move. Chains are loosed. Verse five, verse six But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what does righteousness say? The Word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the Word of faith which we preach. Now, He's about to tell you what the Word of faith is, verse 9. That if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and shall believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved, delivered. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Your words carry spiritual weight and authority. Your words mean something to heaven, and your words mean something to hell. And because you are the righteousness of God, when you speak, you are exercising the lordship of Jesus in the earth because you are His representative. You are His ambassador. And when you speak, heaven responds, hell responds, because your words carry spiritual authority. And when you begin to understand that, you begin to take a whole different perspective where your prayer life is concerned. You quit entering into the presence of God as a weak, sniveling, crying coward, and you begin to walk into the throne room of grace in boldness. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, and obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. What's the root of the boldness? Not arrogance, not pride, but an understanding that your words carry weight in the throne room. Turn with me to James chapter 5. Very familiar verse of Scripture. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16. In the King James says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I like it in the Amplified. The tail end of the Amplified, the last part of that verse, it says, The earnest, heartfelt, Continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available dynamic in its working. I like that because it comes from an understanding of righteousness. I got tickled when I was looking at this sometimes if particularly early in the morning cindy 's still asleep, I usually get up about six o 'clock five thirty six o'clock and I go spend time in the word and and uh, uh, i 'll sit in there and i 'll start seeing things and i 'm sitting in there all by myself early in the morning, and i 'll just start laughing because things will happen that I think is funny and I was looking at this scripture, and I was studying by cross reference and the cross reference this this is how the religious mind thinks because all of these cross references were put together by men, majority of them are very good, but sometimes you hit a plug and uh, it said the earnest heartfelt continued, continued prayer of a righteous man make a tremendous power available dynamic in its working and the first cross reference that I had in my study was Romans 3.10 which says there is none righteous no not one <laughs> well if there's none righteous let's not bother praying we're all going to hell Is that's true well, doesn't the Bible say that? Yeah, it says that, but it's not talking in reference to the righteousness of God. It's talking about trying to attain righteousness through the law. And you can't attain it. There is none righteousness. No, not one. Yes, brother, but the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 4, that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's true. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We're not talking about our righteousness. We're talking about His his righteousness and we've been made the righteousness of God and we have the right to expect based on James 5:16 we have the right to expect that our prayers are having an effect even when we can't see it it's called faith but our prayers are still working let me give you a, a, another scripture that goes along with James 5:16 If I can make my deal work here, I may need a battery. Fine, I'll read it myself. 1 Peter 3.12. Just take note of this. Try it one more time. No. There it goes. There it goes. 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers... But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Well, you're the righteousness of God. And His ears are open to your prayers. I'll just tell you, I'll tell you the truth about it. Uh, Talking earlier about, uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. Nobody can keep the law. Did you know Jesus didn't keep the law? (laughs) He fulfilled the law. There's a difference in trying to keep the law and fulfilling the law. Jesus fulfilled it through the back door. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, the, the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. How did he fulfill the law of prophets, of the law and the prophets? Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets by walking in love, which is the master commandment above all. You keep the law of love, the rest of them will line up. So He fulfilled the law, the law and the prophets by keeping the law of love, not by trying to keep the ten. He just kept the one. Perfectly. Hallelujah. And He was without sin. Amen? Okay. 1 Peter 3, 12, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. Your words mean something in heaven. There's a lady, she's gone home to be with the Lord now. She was an elderly woman year, back years ago, born in the early 1900s. lady by the name of Jeannie Wilkerson. Jeannie Wilkerson was an intercessor. She was a prayer warrior. We had the privilege of, of being around her uh, in, a, uh, I don't remember if it was one meeting, two meetings back in the mid-80s up in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And she was elderly back then. And I say, she's gone home to be with the Lord. But she was an intercessor, prayer warrior. And a lot of people that, that have had an effect on mine and Cindy's ministry, she mentored people like Billy Brim and Bobby Jean Murk. She taught them. And this lady, she uh, started in 1961. The Lord dealt with her about starting a prayer group in her home and she started a weekly prayer group and she, the Lord told her who to call and it was a group that met, met once a week in prayer and they met every week for 20 years. And they got pretty good in the prayer closet. And like I said, she started in 1961. Just to give you an idea of some things that happened and how God used her. Later on, uh, she and Brother Hagen ministered together a lot. Uh, in fact, she was one of the few uh, people with a prophetic anointing on her life that that Brother Hagen would receive what she had to say. A lot of re- he had a lot of respect for her. But just to give you an idea, she was praying one time and she kept saying she'd been praying in the spirit for a while, and then she quit and she started saying the birds, the birds, the birds. The birds. This was in 1961, 62. The birds. The birds. The birds. And the Lord spoke to her and said, Call this man, called his name. His name's Clyde McGee. Clyde worked for NASA. And she called Clyde and she said, Clyde, the Lord told me to call you. And she said, This word keeps coming up in prayer. The birds. The birds. The birds. What does that mean? And he said, Well, he said sister Jeannie, said uh, we're working right now on satellites and we call them birds and he said it's an interesting thing that you call he said he said uh, he said we he and this was when they were nasa was trying to figure out how to launch satellites for communication and he said we know that, they, that the satellites have to be a certain speed so they don't just blast off into space. They can't If they're too fast, they'll just shoot off into space. If they're too slow, they'll fall back to the earth. And he said, we've got to find the right speed for that. And he said, on top of that, we've got to find the right speed and get it fixed where they'll be sit stationary in one location. As the earth rotates, they'll rotate with it. You follow me? And he said, we're having trouble figuring out mathematically what that's supposed to be. And he said, I need you to pray. So she prayed. And I don't know, a few days later, weeks later, whatever, the Lord gave Clyde McGee a dream and gave him the formula for what it would take to get those satellites up in there. Now that's the way God used her. And this is kind of a side... The reason we enjoy Christian television today and satellite and all of that kind of stuff, Sister Jeannie prayed. Sure, other people did too. But, and you know what's interesting? You may not know this. Do you know what the first, the very first satellite broadcast that was worldwide... Do you know what it was? I'm not talking... They had satellite broadcasts before this. I'm talking about a satellite broadcast that went from satellite to satellite to satellite that totally blanketed the earth. Do you know what it was? Do you have any idea? No. Not the Super Bowl. Huh? It was a worldwide communion service from Southwest Believers Convention in 1982. That was the first... Worldwide, if you had a satellite dish anywhere on planet Earth, you could watch that communion service. How do you know? We were in it, but they—it was the first one that was ever done worldwide through the birds. You see what God's got in mind, and that was the way God used this lady, very powerful woman of God. Well. I said all that because this woman, Sister Jeannie, was praying for this guy. And she'd he'd get in a jam, she'd pray him out of it. He'd get in a jam again, she'd pray him out of it. He got sick, almost died, she prayed him out of it. Well... This guy kept goofing off one too many times. He was born again, but he, you know, just wouldn't get his act together and uh, kept messing around and got in trouble again. And Sister Jeannie prayed for him, but this time he died. And it kind of aggravated Sister Jeannie. And she was kind of aggravated with the Lord about it. So she was in prayer one day and the Lord gave her a vision and took her up to heaven. And while she was in heaven, she saw the guy that she had been praying for that had died. And he walked over to her and he said, Sister Jeannie, he said, I have permission to tell you why your prayers didn't have the effect this time. And he went on to tell her. But he said, I also want to tell you this. He said, I have the permission of the Lord to tell you this. He said, I want you to know that you're, that you are well known in the throne room. I like that. Heaven knows who you are. You're well known in the throne room. (laughs) Well, I want you to know that as the righteousness of God, you have access to the throne room. And when you pray, the more you pray, you'll get to where you're well known there. Heaven will know who you are. Hell will know who you are. Do you remember the story of the, uh, the 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 um seven sons of Sceva over in Acts 19 they tried to use the name of Jesus to cast out a cast out a demon but they didn't have the right to do it cuz they weren't born again so the spirit uh, that was in that guy jumped on all seven of those boys whipped them all over the place you remember that you can read it in Acts 19 You remember what that demon said? Acts 19.15, you can read it. That demon spirit said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? Well, if you're the righteousness of God, heaven knows who you are, and hell knows who you are. I've had that happen on more more than one occasion. Somebody that was demonized uh, that I'd never met him before in my life on more than one occasion has looked me in the eye and said, I know you. Yeah, I know you do. I know you too. (laughs) But it has to do with being the righteousness of God. Why, Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to get a revelation of righteousness where your prayer life is concerned. And I want you to understand that all prayer is an exercise of Jesus' Lordship. All prayer is an exercise of Jesus' Lordship. Even if you're just fellowshipping with God, it's still an exercise of Jesus' Lordship. And just like that centurion, as you're exercising Jesus' Lordship, your words carry weight and your words carry authority. Now, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Can you all bear with me for a little bit? Will you not starve? Because we had other things going. The Lord had other things to do. But I really want you to get this. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6. says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Well, how did you receive Him? Believe in your heart, say with your mouth. Verse 7, Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Take note of that. Abounding with thanksgiving. The declaration of His Lordship is connected to thanksgiving. Turn with me to the book of Revelation now. Chapter 4. Four. I want to share something with you. I saw this the other day. Revelation chapter 4. And we're going to look at Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4. John is having a vision of heaven. In verse 4 he says, round about the throne were four and twenty seats, actually literal Greek thrones, four and twenty thrones, and upon the seats are the thrones, I saw four and twenty elders, twenty-four elders, sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, it's very interesting if you're interested in the study of numerology. The word 24 is very interesting. It's 2 times 12, and 12 is the number of God's government. 12 is the number of God's government. These elders are dressed in white. Well, first of all, they're elders, which means they're mature. Secondly, they're dressed in white. So they're righteous and pure before God. Thirdly, they're wearing crowns. That means they have authority. Go down here to the 10th verse. Says the four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying. So these four and twenty elders are connected to worship. They worship God. Now, we meet these elders again over in Revelation chapter 5, beginning in the 8th verse. Talking about Jesus. And when He had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. The literal Greek text says we reign on the earth, not we shall, but we reign on the earth. So these elders... They have harps. And it's not harps like what you and I think of a harp. It actually is closer to a guitar. They have harps. They have golden vials full of odors. That's a horrible translation. The Greek word there is incense. Incense. And notice... They have harps and golden vials full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. We know, just said in verse 9, They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to to take the book and to open the seals. Therefore thou hast slain and hast redeemed us to God. They're redeemed. So these are men. Angels aren't redeemed. Men are redeemed. These are men. These represent the redeemed that have gone on more than likely from both the Old and the New Covenants. But these are men. And notice that says they have harps and golden vials full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They're involved in our prayer life. This is important. They're involved in our prayer life. Now, this is where the error that you find in Catholicism and a lot of orthodox segments of the body of Christ, this is where you find that come in. Because the way they interpret this is that you pray to the saints and then the saints convey the prayer to God. That is an error. We don't pray to the saints. We don't pray to Mary. We don't have the saints pray for us. Okay, that worked well. So I'll just quote it to you. That's for your benefit, not mine anyway. John 16:13. Jesus said, "Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you." He is our direct access to the Father. We don't pray to the saints. I'm sorry, John 16:23, not 13. John 16:23. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We have direct connection to God through the name of Jesus. 1 Peter 2.5 There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. We don't have a whole bunch, bunch of saints as mediators. John 14.6 Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me. So this is not an issue of the saints praying for people that are on the earth. But yet on the other hand, these these saints, these elders are connected to our prayer life. Now what are they doing? These elders prepare and convey the prayers of the saints that are prayed on the earth to God. They receive those prayers and they convey them to God. Somebody said, I thought Jesus did that. He does, but they assist Him in that priestly ministry. Because it said here in verse 10, You have made us unto our God kings and priests. So they assist Jesus. What is it they do? Well, if you just read this one verse in verse 8 said they have harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. You get the idea that the incense are the prayers themselves, but they're not. In fact, Revelation chapter 8 verse 3 Says, and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. Now there is something that there's something that takes place that mixes the prayers of the saints with incense. The prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which are before His throne, and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So there's something that they do that prepare the prayers. There is a mixture of something with the prayers that combine the incense and the prayers and they become one so that they are acceptable to God. Now, you can just take note of this. I had it on the screen. The screen's not working. So you can... I wonder if I changed the channel. May have, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> did you mess with my TV? Uh, did you mess with my TV? Okay. All right. Their tablet is a TV remote control. That's why I'm asking. Okay. Alright. Alright. The prayers and the incense are mixed together. Psalm 141, 2, David said, Let my prayers be as incense before you. Okay. Okay. Luke chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. You can take note of this. I'd shoot it up on the screen, but I can't. Luke chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Do you know what John the Baptist dad, you know what he was doing when Gabriel appeared to him? He was offering incense on the altar. You remember that? Gabriel appeared to him. Do you know what the people were doing while he was offering incense? You can read it in Luke 1.10. While he was offering incense inside the Holy of Holies, the people were outside making prayers to God. So there is a connection between the prayers and the incense. Well, what, what is the Incense. Again, I could shoot this up on the screen. I had it on the screen. Did you notice they have harps? That's a key. Listen to Psalm 147 and verse 7. Listen to this. Psalm 147 and verse 7. Sing unto the Lord... With thanksgiving, sing praise upon the harp unto our God. You see, when those prayers ascend before God, those elders receive those prayers and they begin to give thanks unto God for the answer of those prayers and there is a mixture of thanksgiving with the request so that as that mixture takes place it's the thanksgiving that makes the request acceptable to God do you see that Psalm 69 30 and 31 you can just look at it Psalm 69 30 and 31 I will praise the name of God with a song well weren't they singing sure I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that has horns and hooves. So it makes those prayer requests acceptable when the sacrifice of thanksgiving is combined with it. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. So when you begin to declare before God in righteousness and begin to pray as the righteousness of God, you combine it with thanksgiving. And you give thanks to God for the answer before it shows up. And in that thanksgiving, you are coming into concert with what is being done in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How? By the voice of thanksgiving. Do you realize, I never thought about this, do you realize there are no prayer requests in heaven? They don't need anything. But there is the prayer of praise and thanksgiving. So when we combine our requests with thanksgiving, we come into concert with heaven verse 7 when we do that what happens and the peace of god which passes all understanding shall keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus you remember what happened after the the, the words that went forth this morning what was the manifestation peace what is peace peace is the primary manifestation number 1 of god's presence number 2 it's the primary manifestation of god's government and by righteousness, you come into divine order. So why don't you say it's the primary manifestation of God's government? Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Why is it important to say thank you? I can say some other things, but I'm just going to sh- share this with you. Why is it important to say thank you when you make your request? There is no higher expression of faith in your words than to say thank you. The two most faith filled words in the English language are thank you. And to say thank you before you can see it? I'll give you an illustration, and I'm done. Man called me on the phone the other day. He said I he said I want to put a check in your ministry. He said but I didn't have your mailing address. He said give me your mailing address, I'll put the check in the mail. I said well, man, thank you. I really appreciate that. The only thing I had to go on was his word. I'm talking to this guy on the phone, but I know him. I know him. He said, I'll put it in the mail today. He said, you'll get it maybe tomorrow, next day. I said, well, thank you. I really do appreciate that. Thank you very much. Now, what what do you think? How do you think he would respond? if it's, I've, I'm writing you a check. I'm putting it in the mail. Give me your address. And I said, well, <coughs> I don't know if you are or not. I, whenever I get the check, well, I'll call and thank you for it. Whenever the check shows up and I got it in my hand and make sure that it clears the bank, then I'll call and Thank you for it. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. When it gets here, you know, if it shows up, well, then I'll call and say thank you. Do you know what I did? Yeah, checkbook closed. You know why? I just called a guy a liar, didn't I? I insulted his integrity. And you brought up a point about the checkbook closing. That is exactly the the truth. You know why? And I learned this from Marilyn Hickey years ago. People that have a heart to give, the minute you start trying to apply pressure on them to give, because they've already got a heart to give and you're not going to screw them over. So you let God take care of it. Let God handle it. And you know what he does? And I know this man, he's a giver. But I just, thank you. It took faith to do that. How are we to respond to God? Father, this is what You said in Your Word. And I've made my requests. I've made my declarations. So now, by faith, I say thank You. Before it even shows up, I just want to give thanks. I want to thank You for the deliverance of my family. I want to thank You for the deliverance of the people that I'm praying for. I want to thank You that You're bringing to pass those things that I desire in 2012. I thank You that it's coming to pass before before it even shows up. I thank You that it's happening because I already have the promise in Your Word that You're doing it. Can you see that? And we are the righteousness of God by faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before You and I thank You for Your moving today in our hearts and in our lives. Thank You for the words that came forth today of encouragement. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we are the righteousness of God. Thank You that we enter into 2012 in hope, in the name of Jesus. We rejoice and thank You for what You're doing in us, around us, and through us. We thank You ahead of time, in the name of Jesus. And as I receive the, we received the tithes and offerings this morning, I want to read this to you. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, it says, "...By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name, but to do good and to communicate." Now, the word communicate is, is fellowship, and it's used in the givings of "...offerings." but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Righteousness is the ability to please God. So, Father, as Your people give, as they sow their seed, I thank You that they are presenting a tithe and an offering, that they're sowing a seed in righteousness, that they're not just empty words, but as the world says they're putting their money where their mouth is and they're sowing a seed for deliverance in 2012. And I thank You, Father, in Jesus' name, that what they are believing for and sowing for is coming to pass. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, anybody got any questions, comments? Thank you for your...